Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for that uh, wonderful news wrapped up in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We're turning our attention now to uh, five centuries before Jesus. Uh, But, Lord, right in the middle of that, there's looking forward to what you're going to do in the future, which we now know you did in the person and the work and the word of Jesus. So we pray that through him you will speak to us now. For Christ's sake. Amen. In our walk through Ezra and Nehemiah, then uh, we've reached the end of stage one of the return from Babylon to Jerusalem, the work of Zerubbabel. We need to do some work with our Bibles today, so do have them open uh, at page 545, and uh, we'll be looking at part of chapters 4, 5, and 6, being ready to turn the page as we go. And as you can see uh, from up front here, as we unpack the text, then what we'll touch on are three things that all begin conveniently with the letter C. Confrontation, courage, and completion. Anyway, let's dive in. Page 545. We've got a picture. Um, uh, it's a quick reminder of the last two Sundays, by the way. The return to Babylon is going on in those three stages. I've said the first stage is led by Zerubbabel, and his name means planted in Babylon. He oversaw the work of establishing worship and rebuilding the temple. We've seen some of that over the last couple of weeks. Straight away when we get to chapter 4, though, uh, if we can look at the next one. Uh, When we get to chapter 4, then what we find is confrontation going on. The people are heading in the church Bibles. If you look at them at the beginning of chapter 4, the bit in italics at the top says opposition to the rebuilding. And this is where confrontation begins and it continues all through the rest of Ezra and Nehemiah For now at least it's not open conflict it's more sort of discouragement and trying to frustrate plans and so on uh, but all of that is going on and uh, as we read at the bottom verse 5 uh, look at it where it tells us it um, continued all through the reigns of Cyrus Dan into the reign of Darius actually it misses out the king who came in between Cambyses uh, so for a long period, there's a lot, lot of discouragement going on, uh, going on to the people of Israel there. There's something for us in all this. Confrontation, uh, when it happens, doesn't feel good. And I guess that's a, a reason why many of us, if we're honest, try to avoid confrontation. Of course, there's value in diplomacy. Uh, you expect me to say that um, because of my background, but um, uh, we Christians can't avoid the fact that there's, there is confrontation. There's confrontation between the ways of the world and between what we believe. Uh, we're in a spiritual battle. And that's why Ephesians 6 talks about the, uh, the armour of God that's given to Christians, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes 
our readiness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then we're urged to keep praying and using, wearing that armour. Now, the way confrontation begins is a bit strange. Look at verse 2 for a minute. It seems it contains verse 2 of, this is chapter 5, by the way. No, it's not. Uh, back, still, still in chapter 4. Um, verse 2 uh, is what seems to be uh, a good offer. Let's help you. We want to help you. Well, help is usually a good offer, and I. But look back, look back just one verse to verse 1. Look who's making the offer. The, the enemies of Judah and Benjamin are the ones making the offer. And that ought to be good reason to think twice about the motives uh, behind this offer. Things not quite what they seem. You can work out how that comes about. Uh, the people doing the offering have not been in exile. Uh, instead, they, they were overcome years before. They were the founders of him, like, or the forerunners of the uh, later, later became the Samaritans. Uh, and they had a mixed religion. And, of course, uh, they hadn't been authorized by Cyrus to get involved in this. Zerubbabel uh, recalls in verse 3, if you look at it, how Cyrus had given him both authority to rebuild the temple and resources to rebuild the temple. The key word in responding to that offer is that word at the beginning of verse 3, the word but. But the offer is resoundingly declined. Zerubbabel says, you have no part with us in the endeavor of building the temple, and so on. Zerubbabel was well aware that um, uh, people who help, I suppose that sometimes we use a saying, he who pays the piper calls the tune, then uh, people are in the position to, to do things a bit differently. Well, Zerubbabel knew that there shouldn't be compromise. Not all help is right help. And the church needs to reflect on this. Churches need to reflect on this actually when thinking about uh, sometimes funding sources and things like that when uh, conducting building projects. And that's just the same today as it was then. Not all help is good help. We need to know, think about what's behind the help. Now, I've got a few arrows on this one. And uh, this is a brief aside, really, just thinking about some of the bit that we skipped over, that Bob didn't read, but I'm encouraging you to read between uh, what, what we're, read the rest of the passage. Uh, so I'll say something about this. The, much of chapter 4, verses 6 to 23, the bit that Bob didn't read, comes from later in history. And the kings aren't those three, Cyrus and Cambyses and Darius that we talked about, but uh, they become Xerxes and then Artaxerxes. Uh, and we're taking things, this is not in chronological order, which seems a bit strange, because we're conditioned nowadays to think very much in chronological order. We might even think a bit like these arrows on the screen. We might think from left to right on the, 
on a bit of paper. That's how we think time. We think of time going that way. Oh, it seems to get that. That's that seems that's very much in our minds. But that was a bit different here, and it reminded me actually of uh, some of the uh, bereavement visits that I do. Uh, so people after, just after somebody has died, and we're thinking about their life, and we kind of start off usually at the beginning and. Uh, think about their early life and then sometimes that triggers a thought and then we find ourselves thinking about something later and then coming back again and so on. So this process of taking things from the future and putting them back into the past uh, goes on. It kind of rings true. And Ezra 4 is a bit like this. So I promise it's always good asking about a bit of scripture. Why is it put here? Why is it put here? Why is this bit from a later period taken and put into an earlier period? Well, I think the point is that the opposition that we've seen that begins at the beginning of chapter 4 goes on and on and on. It's a long-term thing. Opposition uh, continues, yes, Cyrus and Cambyses and Darius, but then into Artaxerxes and Xerxes and then there's Darius the first and the second and Xerxes the first and second and Xerxes the first and second, a bit like Henry's and Edwards in British history. There's an awful lot of them. Uh, and it goes on and on. And uh, we think about how we handle it. No surprise what I'm saying. The second C, our, our first C was confrontation. But the second C is about how we handle it. And the second C is all about courage. Chapter 5, uh, if you flip over the page, chapter 5 refers us straight away, right at the beginning, to uh, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. Um, they prompted the people of Israel to think again, think back, hang on a minute, they say, or Haggai says, um, you guys are, are in nice houses that you've built for yourselves. Why isn't the temple finished yet? That's not right. And they, you know, Haggai and Zechariah taught that courage was an important part of following God. Courage is needed in tough situations, finding confidence and security not in ourselves, but instead in God. In the context of today, or this weekend in particular, I suppose I should say that we, remember, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus will still be Lord. Whatever happens about Brexit or non-Brexit, whatever we end up with, um, whatever consequences there might be in our local community, as in many others, then uh, Jesus will still be Lord. And we, can, we know that God is to be trusted and he calls us to be courageous in difficult times. But back to the temple. Then work is at a standstill, we read. Uh, verse, uh, 20, verse 24 of chapter 4, right at the top of the page. Thus the work, of the Lord, uh, work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second, reign, second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. Uh, so it had been standstill all through what more or less amounts to the 520s BC. And then up in the second year of King Darius, 
equates to roughly 520 BC and then partly because of the, uh, the motivational talks given by Haggai and partly uh, from the answers that because of the answers that Darius gives to the questions that uh, he's asked by the uh, annoyingly named Tatanai and Shethar Bozanai, uh, partly because of the answers that Darius gives, uh, then work starts again. So do you remember in a previous week we saw how sometimes things coming from a secular political direction and things coming from a religious direction overlap, they're the same actually both what comes from the king and what comes from God by the prophet, then both point people to get stuck in, be courageous, and uh, get stuck in to rebuilding God's temple. Now it's clear, if we look at uh, chapter 5, that there's intimidation goes on, intimidation of the would-be builders, people who are around try and puff themselves up to be big and stop it happening, and so on. Look at verse 3 of chapter 5. Who gave you the authority to do this? By what authority are you doing that? Have you ever been asked a question like that? Who authorised you to do this? And then if somebody tries to bully you a bit, they might say, what's your name? And what are the names of the people who are helping us, helping you? Those are the kind of questions, kind of intimidatory questions with thinly veiled threats that are being asked of the rebuilders here. But as in the previous chapter, the key word is at the beginning of verse 5. Look at it. It's that same word. It's that word, but. But. The eye of God was watching, and so on. I'm delighted that God's not blind. Uh, there are so many things that happen in the world today that uh, might be bad, but God is not blind. God is watching. God was doing that then, and he's doing that now. Now, the opponents, are, uh, as I say, Tatanai and Trevor and I, what they have done is written to uh, King Darius and said, Look in the archives and find out whether there's permission to do what these guys are, are doing. And they, in saying that, think that there wasn't permission. But a search of the Babylonian archives, I found some, a picture of some archives here, so that's why that, that's up there. The search of the Babylonian archives found that actually, then yes, King Cyrus, their king, had instructed the Zerubbabel and the people with him to go and build the temple. Uh, there, there was uh, a decree found in an archive in the citadel of Ekbatana, uh, where si that showed that Cyrus's orders had been given. There was permission, and there were some resources. He gave. Him one. First of all, he instructed some other people to give cash, then he gave a bit of his own cash to make it happen. And then after that, because that permission, because that permission was found, then the work could get going again. And that leads us to our third C. Our third C is uh, completion. Uh, we're on to chapter 6, so uh, flick over the page again uh, in chapter 6, verse 13. 
because of that decree that King Darius said that just reinforced the fact that his predecessor, but one, had given permission, then the work got finished. And it got finished in the sixth year of Darius, which is about 515 BC. The temple was dedicated and there was lots of rejoicing. You might recall from the last couple of weeks that there's usually a but. We saw last week that there were tears when the foundations of the temple were laid because people realized that it's actually a pale reflection of the old. And there were tears. It was also a tearful experience because God's presence wasn't clear in all this. It had been before, but it wasn't quite so obvious now. The temple had been important because God, it symbolized God's presence. Now, we saw the week before last, actually, in that little video we watched, that each time there's a climax in Ezra and Nehemiah, then it turns out to be an anticlimax. And that's a theme that keeps recurring. You might refer, you might recall uh, those little red lines in that video. And, uh, and so what we end up with is an anticlimax. And we'll look at our, our next one. The hope for yeah, completion of the temple is actually an anticlimax. I wonder, how does this ring true in your own life? Have you ever hoped for something? Wanted something? Worked for something? Paid for something? Uh, but when it happened you felt strangely empty or disappointed. You ever had that experience? Maybe you spent time climbing the career ladder or some other ladder and then realized too late that the ladder is propped against the wrong wall. It's not worth climbing. It's not worth doing that because it's the wrong wall. I want to end with uh, all this uh, last picture because um, Ezra and Nehemiah often include this. and It's about looking further ahead. They prompted people to look further ahead for what they really need. People knew that they needed something. Lots of people know that they're missing something, but they don't know what it is in life. Ezra, Nehemiah, and the prophets taught that what that, 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 that something is, what that is, is a new heart. They need God to get to work inside them, changing their hearts. The prophets look forward to it. Jeremiah, you might recall him uh, uh, talking about a time when God would write his covenant on their hearts and minds. Or Ezekiel, uh, he talked about how God would turn their hearts of stone into a heart of flesh. There are lots of different ways that different prophets put it. But they all know, knew that the real, real answers would only lie further ahead, further down the road. Actually, they can be found in the person who called himself the road. Jesus called himself the way, hodos, um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the road, the way, the way, the truth, the life. That is who 
Jesus is. So when you're let down, who do you look to? Where do you look in life? When people around you are let down, have a tough experience, where do you prompt them to look? Looking ahead and hoping for something more applies both to you, yourself, and to others around you. It's good to be thinking this way because only Jesus will satisfy the deepest need. With that in mind, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you do satisfy deepest needs. Lord, we're sorry for times when we've wandered around in confusion. We pray, please, that as we go down that road of life, we will find you. You are out there looking for us, and we pray that we will meet with you. In Jesus' name.